0: Please note that Matan's crowdfunding campaign began on May 25th and will be continuing throughout this week. Uh, we'd really appreciate any support that you can show for Matan and all of its Beit Midrash programs. Uh, check out our website for the ability to donate and support Matan to continue in all these wonderful endeavors. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Podcast. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast.matan.org.il. Each week we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Parshat so opens with the Levite census, since they were not included in the national census in the previous Parsha. The Torah then conveys the importance of keeping the encampment free of impure individuals. Then we have the laws surrounding the Isha Sotah, the suspected adulteress, the laws of the Nazarite, the priestly blessing, and the Parsha concludes with the tribal princes, the nasiim, their inaugural sacrifices brought to the Mishkan. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Rabbi Alex Israel, who is a teacher and scholar of Tanakh at Matan, Yeshivat Eretz Tzvi, and Midrash at Lindenbaum. He is also the director of community education, summer programs at the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. His books, First Kings, Torn in Two, and Second Kings, in a Whirlwind, have been received with great acclaim. His writings may be found at www.alexisrael.org. Rav it's great to have you here to speak about the Nazir.
1: I'm delighted to be here to speak to you, Sefa, really a pleasure
0: uh, We have sort of coming full circle of having had more contact when I first came to this country, right when we were doing things together for Nefesh for so, Right,
1: uh, We used to run a seminar for gap year students to try and you know, take the low-hanging fruits and to <laughs> capture, capture their enthusiasm during their Shana Ba'aretz and uh, introduce them to Nefesh B'Nefesh.
0: Exactly. So it's great to come back and uh, here to talk about Torah.
1: Yeah, we are. And we're going to talk about the Nazir this week. And the Nazir is really such a fascinating personality because we have these very strict laws about the Nazir. Uh, we know that the Nazir has certain restrictions, uh, he's not allowed to cut his hair. He's not allowed to drink wine or or drink the products of wine, eat the products of wine. Um, and he's not allowed to come into contact with the dead. And the question, of course, is who would do this? <laughs> what? Why would somebody become a Nazir? Why would somebody take this radical step? And many people have spoken about the idea that the Nazir, in some way, uh, is called by Al Parsha Kadosh, that you become almost like, I mean, who else has the idea that they can't come into contact with the dead and they can't drink wine? And that is the Kohen. It's almost like an Israelite who's a wannabe Kohen. Um, He wants to be uh, in a different space. He wants to be in a holier zone. And therefore he takes a neder, he takes a vow, and puts upon himself extra restrictions. And the question that I have is, what would lead a person to such a radical move? And here I'm going to quote the first Rashi, the famous uh, Gemara, which says that what is the connection between this Parsha, the Nazir, and the Sota, which was the previous Parsha, the suspected adulteress. And the Talmud tells us, Rashi quotes it, If somebody sees a woman who has gone through the sota procedure, which is exceedingly humiliating, and he sees her in this humiliated state, he will then restrict himself from wine. What's the connection? The assumption is that this woman got herself into a compromising sexual situation, which aroused the suspicion of her, of her husband, and the way she got into this compromising situation was because she was drinking. And he looks at this situation... I would even argue that he's quite traumatized by it. He looks at what's going on in society and says, look, people are getting themselves into all sorts of uh, unpleasant situations, unethical situations. They're messing up their marriages. And therefore, you know what? I'm never going to have another drink. And he finds the religion even gives him a framework in order to do this, which is fascinating
0: I mean, in this this Rashi, or again, based on the Gemara, is saying that one of the first reasons that somebody will want to make a change in their life is as a result of what they see around them. Meaning, it's not an internal it didn't necessarily start internally. It started from something they see around them, it's a societal trend that they say, "I don't want that to be me." So let me take active steps to change my persona so that I won't be I won't be like that person. I won't be like my sibling, or I won't be like my whoever it is around me. And I say, I don't want to be like that.
1: Right. Which is, which is amazing. I mean, in general, what changes people when people make big transitions in their life and in their life course? You know, what are the things which changes people? Recently, I was in a community uh, visiting for Shabbat and some of the families I was with were telling me that some of their children after their year in Israel or even before their year in Israel had um, gone from being modern Orthodox to far more right wing, far more Haredi. And when I probed and asked them what was causing that, it was a lot to do with the inconsistencies or the lack of intensity that they found in the modern orthodox lifestyle. And when I was thinking about the Nazir, I was thinking about this idea of shifting oneself sociologically. Um, maybe I'll even you know, say something personal. Right When I was in my Shana Aleph in Yeshiva, I remember at a certain stage, I, I, I realized, wow, you know, I've really got to take my Judaism more seriously. And I'd been in, in a very modern orthodox Bnei Akiva Hevra, and, you know, there were certain standards I wanted to become more rigid and more more particular about. And I guess, and I wasn't even aware, now I look back at it and I can understand, but it went along with me suddenly wearing my tzitzit out and wearing a bigger keeper, And I was sending a message to everybody around me, I'm not quite in your space anymore. I needed to transition to a different, maybe inside. I did that by changes on the outside. And I wonder whether the Nazir, it sounds like, the Nazir is doing that as well. The Nazir finds society to be decadent, uh, finds society to be lax and loose, and says, fine, I am going to cast upon myself restrictions, additional chumrot, one might call it, uh, stringencies, and place myself in a far more secluded space. I imagine if somebody doesn't drink wine, so they're not going to be going to you know, cocktail parties and, and hanging out in the pub. A person who's got long hair um, is going to be visibly marked. People would know that person is an azir. If you can't come into contact with ritual impurity, tuma, then you've got to be very careful where you eat, who you touch. You're actually going to literally be walking along the road keeping away from people. and so this person is 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 really putting themselves in a different in a different space
0: you know the difference between what you describe in your personal transformation and the nazir which makes us i think sometimes look at the nazir with a raised eyebrow is that when people are doing it in a social context where it's acceptable where there are other people doing the same thing where we might expect that kind of change so we're able to sort of process it more easily as a society the nazir it's it's sort of very blatant that it's a it's a personal movement and it's a movement that not only is personal there's something antisocial about it now we might say that people in yeshiva who are you know becoming from or there's something sometimes a little bit antisocial about it also but there's something about the fact that the nazir is doing it alone that i think is part of what leads to the broader discussion of is this something desirable or not
1: i think you're 100 percent correct um look there is that mechanism within our tradition maybe the nazir represents this The Rambam, um, I think in Hilchot Deyot, um, talks about the idea that if your society is corrupt or or problematic, you should shift your country. Moreover, if the whole society in everywhere you know is problematic, go live in the wilderness, right? That's what the Essenes did when they left Jerusalem and went out to the the Dead Sea. Um, Look, a lot of people are moving in lots of different directions. I've recently been watching a couple of shows on Israeli TV Uh, Odni Pagesh is one of them, where you see uh, Haredi young people who decide for whatever reason to leave the Haredi world and uh, move in a more secular direction. And you see how much support they need and how they're also stepping out uh, alone. And it's fascinating that even though the Torah just talks about a Nazir, um, you take a neder, you take a vow, and it seems that's your status. The rabbis insisted that stam shloshim yom. That actually, this is not a healthy state to be forever. That the standard nizirut is a thirty-day option to sort of maybe so remedial. We would,
0: we would call
1: detox a detox, it's right? A detox. <laughs> it's,
0: it's a, a detox. spiritual detox. It's not 100%. you can't be that hungry for so long. You have to limit it in a certain amount of time.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 something which is you know just temporary. It's maybe to help you transition. It's to help you. Um, Find a new way, but then go and join. Go and join the community. You've got to. F- we all need uh, circles which support us and where we belong. Um, when you're talking about the idea of of positive or negative, I think we get into a fascinating discussion here because there is a discussion in Masechet Ta'anit about the degree to watch to which one should fast Masechet Ta'anit, fasting and. Frequently within societies, uh, religious societies, devout societies, uh, we find groups who have always tried to withdraw from the world or withdraw from worldly matters, right? It could be material things. It could be all sorts of pleasures. um, It could be sex. It could be all sorts of different things, which a person sees as um, a source of leading somebody astray because we all have very strong impulses towards worldliness, and here, there's a fascinating discussion between two tana'im, where one says that the nazir is a model of sanctity. That you see that the nazir is called kadosh; he's called holy. And therefore, anybody who is denies themselves something, they are more sacred than the next. Denial is good. The world is is dangerous. <laughs> And we have to, you know, anybody who who has, not everybody does, but anybody who has the fortitude and the inner strength to keep away from those temptations, that's an incredibly positive thing. Along comes the other Tana and turns around and says, no, what are you talking about? The Nazir, when he's finished, brings a sin offering. (laughs) The Nazir is, this isn't something to be praised or lauded. This is in fact something to be, this isn't normative. And this isn't even normal. A person might have to take extreme medicine, but let's call it medicine. In fact, the famous argument that uh, Reb Chaim used to say about the Mussar movement. He used to say, if somebody's sick, they need medicine. So if somebody's problematic, they need Mussar. We're not sick, so we don't need Mussar. One could argue it's a little arrogant, but... Um, I, I could certainly say we all need something to help us to become better people. However, having said that, the Nazir would then be seen as very, very extreme medicine, which one would not be seen to need. And therefore, along comes Maimonides takes this view. And he says that the Torah has already forbidden us a lot of different things. It already restricts our lives in so many different ways. Um, I'm in many of the ways which are related to our carnal lives, relating to our food, relating to our sexual lives, relating to what we wear. And he says, you don't need more restrictions and uh, therefore uh, live a normal life and don't add restrictions. That's not what the Torah wants. What's fascinating is that there have been movements and we see it in other religions and of course within our own who have always uh, wanted to go the other way. Um, I don't know where, where you find yourself in this sort of spectrum, this uh, retif.
0: I Look, I think that there, this has to interact with so one stage of life. And there are stages of life where one is facing different things or what the reality is that they have in their own life, how much they're looking to disconnect from the world or push themselves to a higher spiritual level and, and times at life where they're not looking to do that. The truth is that on a on a historical level, this throws me not even to the Muslim movement, it throws me right to the Hasidic movement. And a huge part of that movement was also embracing our physical world and food, drink, enjoying our bodies as opposed to they were responding to all those much more ascetic movements that had taken over the world, particularly in Eastern Europe. So it throws me it throws me to that moment in time. But I actually was thinking about the Korban chatat, the the sin offering as you as you defined it, that I wonder here, and I know that the Tannaitic Parshanut really grabs onto that as this is a sin; it's not something you should do. But it throws me back to the question of like the the woman who gives birth who's bringing uh, a korban chatat, which again we in previous episodes we defined it as a, a guilt offering or something that's a bit more gentle than than uh, than a sin offering, and that was something we spoke about in earlier episodes. But I wonder if it's a sin that he became a nazir, or it's simply a sign that this is a situation that needs to come to a close at a certain point. Meaning it's not really that there was something, any negative... Uh, any negative judgment, but that it's something that must be finite, just like a woman giving birth and in that postpartum stage is a finite stage that she needs to exit and to reenter society. So to the Nazir, whether it's for 30 days, as you brought before from Chazal, or it's a person who's in yeshiva and spends three or four years in that stage of life, everybody recognizes, I think, that when you eventually have to move through the natural rhythms of life, you need to exit that stage because it simply doesn't it doesn't it doesn't coalesce with with natural living.
1: Wow, I think that's uh, something which is really really meaningful both in terms of pshat and in terms of life because I think you're 100% correct the khatat is a sort of a, a reset button. It's a, it's sort of all like sort of is wiping the board a little bit and you know saying one has to transition. We find for example even before the Mishkan is working. The first thing you have to do is tamizbeach, right? You have to almost like reset the mizbeach. You know, it's like reformatting it, formatting it. And uh, likewise, as you say, after childbirth. And here, there's that sense that chatat is maybe a moment of transition. But I want to, I want to just uh, come back on one point that you're saying, um, because uh, you, we were talking about the nazir as being maybe a sense of seclusion. And in that regard, you know, something, maybe an opportunity to dive into something, an extreme environment, as opposed to ordinary life, society, you know, old people, young people, children, parents, married life, work, and all the craziness that that creates in our, in our lives. Um, but here, and I've got to say, when, I, when the argument between uh, being, <laughs> practicing denial, or being in the world and realizing that embracing, real life, embracing, the, the, embracing, embracing the, world. the world, right, and... Um, the way that the that the Rambam says that mm-hmm. you should only deny yourself from things which the Torah has denied you and that the world is a, ultimately a good world and the famous Gemara which says um, that if you deny yourself any pleasure right, God will take you to task God's given you a beautiful world why not enjoy wines? Why not enjoy good cuisine? Why not enjoy, you know, social environments and the company of friends? This is all positive. Um, so there's one source which has really always led me to think about this whole approach because I tend towards the more normal approach. I enjoy having a nice house. I enjoy having a garden. I enjoy the pleasures of life very, very much. And I side with the rum bum in my own lifestyle.
0: By the way, if I can just add in my personal piece, which is that in reality, I side with the Rambam, but my internal space tends to be more extreme. So I do a really great job of covering it up for the most part. <laughs> but I, I do understand that internal impulse to cut off, uh, on a religious level. And a lot of it is, is temperament. These are things that are far beyond our cerebral control.
1: I mentioned Musar before, and one of the most classic Musar books, even though it didn't come from the Musar movement, is Masila Isharim, the famous uh, book of the Ramchal, which is a sort of a a ladder to lead somebody to Kedushah, to holiness and piety. And uh, halfway through the book, uh, where he's talking about midata Prishut, keeping away from life, he uh, talks about, again, some people will see this as exceedingly negative, um, but he talks about the idea that every aspect of the world contain great dangers. And he actually goes through a whole list of things, like he says... Um, if you get used to a really high standard of living, so you're going to, first of all, you're watching your neighbours. Oh, they on a nice vacation this summer. Oh, I'd like to go abroad. Um, you're looking at the car they're driving. You look at the job they have, and it makes you feel unsatisfied and jealous. And then you're going to have to start working up a storm. And as a result of that, you've got far less time to devote to your family and to spiritual matters and to learning Torah. Never mind all the vanity and the sexuality which is created by flashy clothing and what have you. And he talks about getting into this sort of rat race where we uh, convince ourselves that being part of society, we need much more. And this, even though, I, my, again, my instinct goes against this, there's something very true about it, right? And in some of our communities where sometimes, you know, weddings have become very, very, uh, you know, extravagant, And families who are on normal, respectable incomes go even even go into debt in order to be able to afford the lifestyle. When everybody's going on foreign vacations, I feel bad not giving my children that opportunity, even though I can't necessarily afford it. And really, sometimes uh, I do ask myself, why am I working so hard? (laughs) Why am I so crazy? Why don't I have the time just to sit and, you know, chat with my kids at home? Did I need to take on that extra, you know, responsibility at work or that extra job? There's something here which, a sort of critique, a critique of the materialistic culture. And this actually this the discussion in the, it's here in chapter 13 of Mesila Yesharim, the discussion of the Ramchal exactly focuses around this. He says the the Nazir is Kadosh. He withdrew a little bit and he finds space in his life to develop an atmosphere of, of sanctity. And in this regard, I don't think he's talking about sanctity as something which means sitting alone. It means a sanctity which isn't drawn away from focus by all the myriad distractions of the world, that we convince ourselves that we need, uh, you know, a whole wardrobe of clothes and we need to change it for next summer <laughs> that we dufka need that new model of car even though our car is only two or three years old etc etc et et I don't need to give examples and what actually the phrase it's these drives it's not the Nazir is out of the world everybody else is out of their world they're, they're disconnected from their inner self they're disconnected from their spiritual roots they're in. Inter- they're, they've even maybe got a sort of dislocation from their inner world because they're too busy chasing.
0: Your thoughts are, are spurring two thoughts of my own. One is that when I encounter a world that is... Um, material focused and not spiritual focused. The thing that I experience most is that the it's not only that the obsession and this is similar to what you said. It's the the isuk the constant uh, obsession or dealing with the material needs leaves no space. It leaves no space internally to focus on the things that are deeper. Because when we focus on our spiritual connections, when we focus on our personality, we focus on our deeper inner health. There are things that require a certain openness. And what those material things do is that they take up a lot of space without giving us a lot of returns. And so that's something that really gets to me. I Meaning it's not the 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 physical manifestation, it's not the house or the car, to be quite honest. I love a big house. It's simply that as we the Gemara also says, <laughs> you start to, you know, you have more material um, items and you have to deal with them all the time. You have to manage those items. And it simply takes up the internal space that you need to be able to focus on things that are deeper and honestly more difficult to actually navigate and bring to higher places. That's thought number one I had in what you said. The other thought that that I had listening to you was that I think that the koach of the Nazir, what he really gains is not the time he's away from society, but it's when he comes back because what it does is recreate a sensitivity that might have been lost when you were just going with the flow of society. Because when you, let's say, cut back on you know someone's TV watching, or you cut back on someone's you know physical indulgences in, in whatever realm of someone's life, what you gain is not the time away from it, but it's that when you come back to re-embrace it, you come back with a renewed sensitivity to how that impacts your spiritual self. And so if we go to the food example again again, you know, the detox, okay, so somebody may have lost a little bit of weight or feel better or doesn't have a stomachache or doesn't feel bloated after 30 days of detox. But what they've gained is a better starting point or sort of this initial homeostasis that they're now much more sensitive to when their involvement in the regular world shifts that. And so I feel like that's what the Nazir really gains, is Dafka, his re-entry into the world as opposed to when he left it.
1: That's lovely. I always find uh, I travel quite a lot to teach. And I, every community I go to, I always find something. You know, stand coming from the outside as a visitor, I always like, wow, look at this shul, or I'll, I don't know, see something in the community, and I, I always learn things and come back with. I even write them down. I have a tradition on the on the flight on the way home. I always write certain like tovarnots and insights and lessons that I've learned on my trip, and um, I find, find that I come home. Sometimes I even open the door and the house looks different. (laughs) And there, it's just, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating how taking a step out, maybe when you re-enter, you come with a new, a new vision. Um, I just want to, I think we're coming to a close. So I'm just going to try and maybe reinforce what you're saying by saying this. The Midbar in general is a book which is full of the people. It's the people's book. You know, if Shemot we hear about Moshe throughout, Vaikra we think we hear a lot about Aaron and the priesthood, and suddenly in Bamidbar we're surrounded by people, right? The Nisim, the leaders of the tribes, the we count all the people, the swarms of you know six hundred thousand people, and all sorts of other people, the Meraglim and uh, Yoshua and Kalev and Pinchas and the daughters of Chad and loads of two hundred and fifty people with Korach. This is the people's people's book, and um, Parashat Naso in particular keeps on transcribing the camp in different ways. Um, we have, as you mentioned earlier, the fact that certain people who are impure don't belong within the camp. Later on in the Parashat, in other words, the camp has a certain gedushah. Later we're going to hear about the people who are the fisheries, the, the priests, the kohanim, who do birchat kohanim, we don't just get God's blessing. We have people to bring us the blessings. There are people who particularly give us the blessings, and they are a resource for us. They are somebody who can be a, a vehicle, a conduit within our society. And later on we're going to hear about the Nassim who represent the, the princes, who represent the tribes on the stage when the, when, the Mishkan is, um, when the Mishkan is dedicated. And in this regard, rather than maybe seeing the Nazir, exactly echoing what you said, as being outside society, you know, when we came back from our isolation after COVID um, and we came back to shul, I was suddenly struck going back to the community by how many interesting characters we had in our shul. <laughs> and some of them, you know, the guy who prays a little bit too loudly, the person who shushes from the back, the person who's always wants to feel out to go faster, and the other one who has a very long Shmona Isrei, um, and all the characters, shools have a lot of characters. <laughs> I wonder if the Nazir is also a character. Um, he's somebody in your neighborhood. He's somebody who's there and actually is constantly, I sort of like measuring myself up against him. Interesting to have different people. This one's a little more withdrawn. This one's. And part of being in a social environment is always to be able to look at the people around us and learn from them.
0: You know what I love about this conversation is that we've taken the Nazir who seems to be somebody who is far away from us. And your description or your animation of him is is made him the guy next door, right? He's become somebody who's really familiar to us. And I think that that's a brilliant way to read the Parsha because it makes everything feel closer. And the question is, what you know, Nazarite tendencies do we have inside of ourselves or not have inside of ourselves or, you know, or looking at somebody who's taking a step back and, and let's give them a moment, like let's give them a moment in time to make that recalculation or recalibration without whether, and I know that it's very hard if it's someone's child who's going through change or it's someone's sibling, it's really, really, really hard to stand back and watch that without judging them, like really judging them. Who are you? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're actually going to change? But I think also what the Torah says is that, no, they really can change. And sometimes that's as a result of something they saw in society, which utterly turned them off or turned them on spiritually. Uh, Or sometimes it's an internal space that someone has reached where they say, I don't like the version of myself that I am, whether it's in response to something on the outside or not. And so I love that this conversation has sort of made the Nazir be 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 that guy or that woman you know on the street and i think that ultimately the call is to say we just said in the Parsha, that we want our camp to be a place of holiness and that there are people that in certain states, they really shouldn't be there and they need they need to remove themselves. And here we have the example of somebody, without being officially impure, they're not the Mitzorah, they're not somebody who has to be sent away, but they're voluntarily saying, I want to be a better contribution to the holiness of this camp. And so I'm going to take some time out and eventually I'll come back. This is not a permanent state. Life can't continue like that. But but I, I, I love that reading. So thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much as well. It's wonderful to sit here and learn Torah with you. And as you just spoke and you said the man or woman next door. I think especially as this is a Matan podcast it's very important because we've spoken about a Nazir, and non a Nazira in modern Hebrew Nazira is a, a,
0: is a nun. A nun yeah.
1: <laughs> but it is important to say ish yes. this isn't a male thing this is male, female it's independent of gender and I think that's an important point to end on thank you thank you
0: I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One on One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.